Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the National Community Radio Network. Today's program was recorded on Wiliakali and Barkindji country. I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners and their elders past and present and acknowledge the continuing struggle for sovereignty and self-determination across these lands. I'm Megan Williams. This week, in New South Wales Parliament, regulations attempting to legalise and licence floodplain harvesting were knocked back by the Upper House for a third time. Floodplain harvesting captures floodwaters in Queensland and northern New South Wales as they flow over land or break the banks of the river. These waters are stored and later used in irrigated agriculture, mostly for cotton, and the latest regulations would have washed away legal limits set by New South Wales state and federal laws. Bad regulation put to bed by the crossbench of the New South Wales Upper House. But this isn't the only good news in the basin. As we enter the second year of Lenina, the Menindee Lakes and the Darling Barker River in far west New South Wales are in flood at long last. And while the floodwaters of the last two years have been captured in great volumes without regulations that sustainably manage floodplain harvesting, thankfully, the flows that have made it down the Barwon Darling Barker have been enough to bring life back in droves to this outback oasis. So today on Earth Matters, we're celebrating life and culture with Barkindji Malingarpa man David Doyle who shares how country is responding to these floodwaters and the native bush foods flourishing as a result. And later in the show, we go fishing with a Broken Hill fisherman I met down at a little spot near the Great Darling Anna Branch. This is David Doyle, starting us off with how the Menindee Lakes are looking now. Yeah, they're looking amazing. Um, they're uh, full almost to the top. I haven't been out for since last week, but um, there was a little bit of space still uh, in Wetherill that was um, they're making a bit of space for any water that was still coming. But the landscape's amazing. You know, they've done actually done a pretty good job of containing the, the water inside the banks and not flooding anyone out. Um, the lakes look really good. Um, the plants and the bird life and the animals all around it are very happy. Um, you know, we've got some stuff flourishing that we haven't seen for quite a while which is really nice to see and can you tell us a bit more about that you know like what have you noticed coming back and and what's what is it that's jumping out to you yeah sure so um i think one of the things is i took a bit of an interest in the plants because we although we know about them um probably don't utilize them as much as we could especially um coming into broken hill and you know there's so many quandons and you see a lot of people don't pick them which surprises me because out of in india it's almost a fight over who's going to pick them um so it kind of surprised me i thought oh maybe people just don't know so i thought i'd get a little bit more information about how good they are for you and what was in season when and what we could do with them so um out at Menindi, you know we had an, a, a huge um quandong season although i live in broken hill now i still go out there to collect pretty much the majority of whatever i use and um, we try and eat something 
or incorporate one of the bush tuckers into our diets or uh, medicinal regime whenever we can. So out at the moment, um, the, the ruby salt bush is spectacular. It's got some really beautiful um, fruit, uh, sort of yellows, pinks, reds, um, and oranges, and they're really plump. Um, also, one of the other ones that I noticed that's doing really well at the moment is the um, uh, black seed samphire, which um, I'm not sure if many people have eaten it, but uh, it's popular around coastal areas and marshy areas, um, which is it's slightly different variety, but um, ours is just as tasty. It's uh, nicknamed just sea asparagus, so, you know, it's um, quite tasty. It's got that uh, little bit of nutty, bit of salty taste, but it's got the, the crunch like an asparagus. Um, all the medicinal plants are flourishing and um, going to seed, which is amazing. And they've got a really nice, strong smell as well, so that means their medicinal properties are right up. And how do you use... How do you use some of those foods in cooking? Like, are they an ing- a vegetable ingredient in themselves, or is it for flavour? Or yeah, a bit of both. So, um, <clears throat> with the kwandong, it's like pretty versatile. Um, I use it in place of when people would use rhubarb, and I thought everyone does a rhubarb. Uh, sorry, a kwandong pie. So I tried to use it in different, a few different things. Like kwandong jam. So we've had kwandong jam, we've had kwandong pie, we've had kwandong relish. I made a kwandong port this year. Um, Kwandong and samphire relish, which is really nice. Um, I've used it as a glaze on some quail because we actually we can get quail out this way, which are all um, able to be able to uh, be harvested around our areas. Um, also, nougat with uh, kwandong in it. I'm still stuck on the kwandong thing, so I've done about a dozen different types of um, recipes with that. Um, the samphire itself, I've pickled and used it in salad. Um, as a garnish, which, you know, gives it a nice salty and um, uh, also the whatever flavours you mix with it, so it gives it a nice pop. Um, what else have I made? Uh, pesto out of the Warrigal greens or the New Zealand spinach, which is really, really nice. It's um, really refreshing. It sounds great. Are you making a cookbook for all of these things or what's the...? <laughs> uh, I throw them together, but I'm trying to remember to put stuff into a recipe uh, format because, like, at Christmas time I did... Um, I did I, I don't know if I posted it actually, but uh, a full Australian native fruit, boiled fruit cake, um, which turned out pretty nice. And my dad, who's a bit of a fruit cake um, fan, uh, I, I tried it on him. Um, his mum's always made boiled fruit cakes um, before she passed away, and no one could kind of um, kept the tradition up. So now I thought, well, I'll, I'll do it, but I'll do it my own way. So I used Nana's basic recipe, but instead of the uh, traditional raisins, the sultanas, I use um, all the dried bush fruits, which they come out really, really nice. It gives it a nice flavour. And sometimes, you, you, you know, if you, if you use them in the right way, sometimes you don't even notice the difference. Um, but they are better for you. Like I'm trying to do, get as much information about the nutritional benefits of them so that when I do post them, um, we know that uh, they're better for us and what vitamins we're going to get from it, what nutrition um, they give us. Um, and then be able to compare, like, the Warrigal greens to traditional English spinach, you know. So um, I'm hoping to be able to do some of that later on. I've also been working with a lady out of Sydney on a uh, plant identification book that's going to be targeting the high school kids. And we're doing the process of collating all the information and um, we're successful in getting a grant to be able to have those printed so that the, um, they can have them all for nothing. And how is it that your 
trying to, how is it that you're measuring the nutritional content to be able to compare it with other foods? Uh, so I do a lot of um, research online. Um, fortunately, some of it's been uh, documented. Um, of also making links in with um, in with universities through mutual friends um, with uh, like a lady that runs a herbarium, one that's got her own testing facility, another one that's um, interested in um, food security in uh, regional areas. So that sort of stuff is um, really interesting. It's also stuff that I'd like to be able to... Um, use that information to encourage because, you know, traditionally we've, we've already, always, always eaten those plants and we've kind of gone away from yeah. from it because it's easier to get them from the supermarket when in actual fact, you know, we could actually just go and grow it or pick it or um, and use it and it actually um, be much better for us. But to uh, have that information would be a really good um, tool to be able to say this is why we should be eating it, not just because we traditionally ate it, but because it's free most of the time and because it's actually better for us. And do you see it um, becoming a, a part of the broader Australian diet or is it kind of a, if you live on country, you know, go and collect your food or? Oh, look, I think that would be great if um, people did it as long as it was done sustainably. Um, and it, it helps us look after country. You know, you go out and you look after, you know, you don't want garbage around um, something that's potentially going to give you food. So it's a, um, that that's, um, another reason that I like to be out in the bush because, you know, any rubbish in that, we pick it up and get rid of it. And um, unfortunately, you see more and more of it. So more of us that are out utilising the bush, hopefully the more of us will be looking after it better. And a lot of the plants, you know, they they do need to be pruned as well. Um, it, it helps them grow when, you know, if they get long and straggly, um, just because coming from an indie when we've always grown fruit, you know, the trees actually benefit from um, using their bounty. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, you know, getting back to country, could you tell me a bit more about um, the animal life and the fish life and things that are out that you see when you go out on country? Yeah, sure. So um, it's really good to be able to go out and see it, um, particularly not that I've seen many echidnas, but everywhere I go, there's echidna diggings um, and they're just so they're so um, hard to find. That you know, it's got to be a good season because they're um, obviously breeding. Also, um, traveling, you see so many of the the lizards out, the bearded dragons, the shinglebacks. Um, they're they're out everywhere at the moment. Fortunately, I haven't come across too many snakes and spiders. I don't like those too much. Um, they, they've got their place. It's just not near me. Um, <laughs> and you, you you only have to drive just out of town. You can see how the emus are starting to build up. Um, the kangaroos are away from the road, which is great. They're out and being able to. Uh, be out away from the road where they prefer to be out in the paddocks eating the grass and getting their their water out there um so it's you know it's a, it's a great time to to actually be out here the flowers are spectacular and you know you drive across you do um have to take your time and uh take your time to have a look at what we've got available um and what's going on at the moment uh, just last week i thought oh there's a different yellow flower i haven't seen and I stopped off and picked it and come home and I hadn't seen it before and um, turns out it's, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, but a bulbine lily, um, which um, when I looked into it further, uh, we refer to it as a native leek. So you use it in place of, um, it's a really subtle oniony flavour. So working on probably doing something with that next week um, to see what the flavours we can get out of it. Um, bush tomatoes are in season at the moment. So um, 
and there's heaps of them around, um, not in Broken Hill, so don't pick any of the Broken Hill ones. They're the poisonous type. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's uh, there's bounty out there if you want to go and have a, have a forage and a look, and the flavours are amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, great. And, you know, what difference is it having the water back, you know, like if you could compare and contrast? Yeah, um, look, it's great to have the water back because some of those creeks that haven't had water for such a long time um, are getting a flush and they are their own uh, ecosystem in themselves. They grow different plants to the river. They grow um, certain plants that um, won't, can't grow down the river bank, but they can grow on some floodplains. <clears throat> um, they also, uh, different animals live around them. So um, they're able to come in rather than being in town, they're able to forage back in their environment out of the way you know like i said less snakes um, always good less spiders because uh, they're able to be out where they actually want to be they don't want to be in town great and do you have any like visions for management of the lakes that would see them cared for better well that's a, that's a good question megan um look, i'm a fan of letting nature take its course you know, let, let them flood and drain as they want to um that's the way it's always happened um, I think uh, it's probably one of the things that's ruined it for us is putting weirs and uh, dam walls in the way and building levee banks. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a natural part of the system. It's what encourages pl- the place to rain. You know, if we've got evaporation here, it's got to come back down. It can't just sit up in the sky. So um, yeah, it all, it's, like I said, it's all part of, uh, of um, something that we can't really recreate. And so we should be leaving it to do its own thing, I think. This is a song about my people's connection to the Darling River that we call the Barker. My uncle, he reckoned that we got that connection to that Kalpinuku, that's what we call fresh water. Kalpinuku flow, Naki goes along. Where the eagle and crow are a part of a sacred song. Where the dusty river trail will lead you back to me. When that demo burns, you and I will both be free, they say. Yeah, 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 You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This song is No Barker, No Barkinji by Barkinji Malingapa musician Leroy Johnson. It's a recording around the campfire at the Murawidji National Park where he works caring for country. And we've been hearing from Barkinji Malingapa man David Doyle about bush food and country at the Menindi Lakes in far west New South Wales. And next up, we're going fishing. I checked out a local spot at the Menindi Lakes near the Great Darling Anna Branch, where I met this character from Broken Hill. He preferred to go by a rather elusive name. And what was your name? John Anonymous. John 
very generously took the time to show a couple of newbies how to catch some dinner when the fish are biting. Okay, put this finger over here. Yeah. That's right, and hold that like that. Yeah. Hold that on that finger. Yeah. If you get that tug again, you start winding that. You got well, on? Yeah, I think so. Wind, 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 wind. That's a good size one. Yeah, this is a golden perch. That'll be probably um, probably a kilo plus. Yeah, they get this kind of bump on, on, the, on their back when they get into the They don't open their mouth, these things. Cod do. Cod will open their mouth while they're laying there. And you just pick them up. There you go. They're, they're magnificent looking fish. Rex Hunt, eat your heart out. But when the lakes are like that at the moment, the fishing is usually very good. Very good in most places, um, particularly if you stick at it. Now, with this extra water we've got, and it's flooded out into the creeks and things, the yabbies have come on in like they used to when I was growing up. That's a long time ago. So we used to come up, four families of us, when I was growing up with our parents and just go on the river between Menindi and the main weir and you could, the kids' job was to check all the yabby nets and shrimp nets all day and the parents did the fishing. Not all of them did fishing, and there was four families of us. And during the course of the day, I'm going back into the early and mid-60s and late 60s, and you always had a feed of yabbies at the end of the day. And then in the 80s when big irrigation got let loose in the northern basin, Murray-Darling Basin, irrigation took a lot of that water. Now, if you can imagine looking at a map of New South Wales and southern Queensland, Traditionally, after the 60s when this, when this lace scheme was built, it catches water and stores it. And so the lake scheme was built as flood mitigation, which is what it was used for from the 60s onwards because it was built through the 50s. And that's what it was used for. Contain some water, still let water go down the river. The Menindee Lakes have a series of channels, inlets, outlets and a main weir. And by built... John Anonymous is referring to the infrastructure. But as Dave Doyle pointed out, these lakes have been a source of life and tucker for thousands of years. John explains how the river used to work before excessive developments upstream. And when, when you had rain in, say, Queensland, I'll do a, 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 what do you call it, a virtual map here. Charleville in Queensland, they would get a great heap of rain. And it would find its way down the river system and eventually it would come through Menindee and down to Wentworth. So the river would come up a little bit. you get nice, clean water go down. And then that would go, the river would go back to normal, still flowing. Then you get rain over near Weewar or Tamworth and those areas or up on the Darling Downs in Queensland. And that water would eventually make its way down. Now, the Charleville water's finished, so you get another little rise in the river, which keeps the river healthy and keeps the fish biting and keeps everything ticking over in its cycles. Then, even as far afield as Ningen in central New South Wales, we call it central, East Coast call it west, but we're west, and that's how the lake system worked. So you can imagine that every roughly 10 years, all those little areas would get a lot of rain, like we're getting at the moment with the La Nina effect. So, and all that water would come down at the same time. And then you would get a big flood, roughly every 10 years. And all your billabongs and all your off-water storage areas 
down the outer branch where this water goes. This is going down the outer branch, this water. First time in 10 years, over 10 years. Or there was a small flow down there. But Yabbies would go mad, blah, 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 blah. As the floods went back, everything would be healthy again. The bird life didn't struggle. Bird life suffered, uh, didn't suffer. The crocodiles used to disappear for a while. Uh, but we wanted to get rid of them anyway because they were eating all the sharks. And we didn't want sharks there. So, so that was a bit of a blow. But anyway. And what actually, kind of river sharks did you used to have? Bull sharks. Bull sharks. They swim up in fresh water. You can hear me laughing at old mate in the background. And I asked him to clarify what kind of bull sharks he was talking about. Bull sharks. Bull sharks. (laughs) Edit that out. He's a character, all right, of the kind that's not uncommon out here in far west New South Wales. And he echoed a sentiment that you'll hear a lot out here. Let's get off the political side of this thing because I'll get angry. He's acutely aware of how the politics affects these ecosystems, the landscape and the way the locals interact with it. Places like this, where when there's water here, there's lots of people come here fishing. Any other time of the year you'd come here, there'd be nobody here. And there probably wouldn't be much water. There wouldn't be any water here normally because they don't let water down this way anymore. Because some years ago they put a pipeline from the Murray River up through the Anna Branch to, to supply water to all the station owners. And as soon as they did that, they ceased letting a lot of water down the Anna Branch even when we got it. So... And we won't go into the way the lake system works in as much as who's, who belongs to the water and who's got control of the water. That's another two-hour story. It is a story for another day. Because while we have this water, we're celebrating the fish we've got. Now, these, this, that fish I just showed you, it might have come down with the floodwaters. It might have come from just in the river over here. I don't think it would have spawned. I've got a friend who's doing work with the fisheries at the moment and they're mapping all the movement of all these. They've put um, tags in them that give off a signal or or give off a beep to a station when they swim past it, uh, uh, tracking stations, and they're doing that today actually down in the Darling. So he's got a lot more figures about what's going on with the fish itself since we had the fish kill in 2019 because that's ramped because of the public outcry and the, and the public backlash that spurred a lot of more research into what's, what's the go in out of these fish A million fish that died out in Manindi there they was the bony river they was my total and we call them Yarnba Where the Nyampa live Is the blood of our great big land And the gotta give Is a part of our sacred dance And all the people learn When the barker she does not run When that damn all burns you and I will live as one, they say. 
You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This song is No Barker, No Barkerji by Leroy Johnson, who has an upcoming album with the Waterbag Band that I highly recommend you seek out when it's available. And we've just been talking with an anonymous fisherman from Broken Hill. And earlier in the show, you heard from Barkenji Malingarpa man David Doyle. My name is Megan Williams. If you'd like to get in touch with Earth Matters, you can email earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen back to the program by going to 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters or searching Earth Matters wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you've enjoyed today's program, and if you have, tell a friend. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is usually produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country, but today's episode was produced on Willyakali Country with a fishing trip out on Barkindji Country. To close us out today, we have a poem called A Recorded History, read and written by Dave Doyle. We'll see you next time. No alphabet, no word set in stone, no recorded history, no pen made of bone, no ink on paper, no scrolls by the sea, no books in the desert, no vellum decree. We have a long history recorded in song. We have history it's been recording all along. It's written in the earth, it's written in the night sky, it's written in the trees, each and every day gone by. The dust in our dance, each made part of a whole, is recording our history, it's recording our soul. The truth of a people, so connected we remained, connected to the land, no need for cash, greed or fame. Owners of nothing but pride, honour and love, respect for all people is what ruled above. Until the law's broken, then punishment swift, chastised by spear or sometimes cut adrift. The truths in the trees just brush the bark aside. Our story's written in smoke when you see a bushfire. The animals and birds our ancestors can attest. Our ancient storytellers, our people's spirit won't rest. Go sit and listen to the country itself. It'll tell you the story like a book on a shelf. It's a story of millennia. It's a story of today. It's a story of tomorrow and the history of yesterday. It's the longest story of the oldest people on earth, 60,000 years and counting, and it's also a story of rebirth. Thank you.